homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Today's question comes from a young person and their grandmother, and it says, We were taught at the temple how the Lord Buddha spent the seven weeks after Buddha's enlightenment. I want to be very clear in my mind that this is not a myth. What mental powers and or physical powers did he use? Does getting up every seven days have any significance? I have been told by my Archie, that's grandmother, that Buddha had 73 special mental powers and 32 special physical features, especially that he had 40 teeth. So it's lovely to receive a question from a young person and to know that there is interest and even to see that they are thinking about something like the Buddha's enlightenment and the question and the answer is actually both interesting to young people and also to the rest of us. So let's look at how we can answer this, this question. The question is primarily centered around the seven weeks after the Buddha's enlightenment. So this period of around 49 days of which the Buddha remained in Uruvela which is now what we know as Bodhgaya. And during that time, the Buddha was mainly still in meditation. And so at this time, where we get most of our answers around his, uh, this period is in the Udana, which is known as the heartfelt sayings of the Buddha. And really it's his own account of what came to pass during those seven days. So the first chapter of the Udana, the heartfelt sayings, is really where you focus the attention on. And there are other places in the Suttapitika, such as the Nguta Nikaya and the longer discourses, the Digha Nikaya, that tell us also from Buddha's words what actually happened uh, post-enlightenment. So when you look at this time period, what the Buddha says is that he spent most of his time in meditation, in concentration, and during this time, he did various concentrations, quite deep concentrations on the question of how did you know the body come to arise in simple terms. And this is what we know as the Paticca Samuppada, so the dependent origination. And these are the links or the conditions that the Buddha went through in his mind as to what caused you know birth. And then of course, uh, birth, aging, sickness and death. And when he looked at that, he looked at that in the forward uh, contemplation. So he saw that out of ignorance, he led all the way back to the whole mass of suffering. That's kind of like the formula. And then at another sitting, he also looked at the reverse of that, that due to uh, birth, all these different things had come to pass. And then what he did then was he contemplated backwards and forwards uh, the, this formula again. And so it's only at the end of that that he, he uttered certain things around the contemplations, that he uttered you know, three different things during those three different contemplations. Also at that time, he spoke about different thoughts that he had at that time and also made certain exclamations around it, certain things that he felt were important after seeing through this Dhamma. 
and he also contemplated around teaching and things like that and that's where we uh, see also a promise Hampati coming to speak to him and making the request the invitation to teach the Dhamma so there are various things that happened during that time that uh, show us that the Buddha was in and out of meditation and the question of seven days is an interesting one, like seven days at one sitting, because what you read in the in these heartfelt sayings and in different parts of the suttas is that after seven days he would arise and then he would again take another seven days for contemplation. Now, I'm going to explain uh, what kind of condition the Buddha was in during those uh, periods of deep concentration. And because it, it appears in the in the suttas that the Buddha fasted for those 49 days. So he didn't take food or water. Nothing was offered to him until the 50th day when Tapusa and Balika came. And they were the first people to take refuge in the Buddha uh, that were lay people. So what's quite interesting is I can't say for sure why it's seven days. But it probably would have been the Buddha's intention around the seven-day period. And that was probably something that he intended before he went into the deep concentration. And so when you make that intention in before you go into deep concentration, then what happens is you come out because of that intention. And it could have been longer if he so wished. That is my understanding of it. But I can't say for sure why it was specifically seven days. It's kind of important to understand the deep meditation of the Buddha. And firstly, let's look at the Buddha's own words in the Tapusa Sutta, which is in Anguttara Nikaya, Numerical Discourses, Chapter 9, Discourse Number 41. The Buddha says, When I had entered into and withdrawn from these nine progressive meditative attainments in both forward and reverse order, I announce my supreme perfect awakening in this world with its gods, maras and brahmas, this population with its ascetics and brahmins, its gods and humans. Knowledge and vision arose in me. My freedom is unshakable. This is my last rebirth. Now there'll be no future lives. So the Buddha is indicating that during his uh, period of time post-enlightenment that he'd gone through these progressive mental attainments. So what these are are firstly the four form jhanas, so first, second, third and fourth. Then it's the formless jhanas, which is the fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth. And then he went into Niroda Samapati, which is this final attainment of cessation. So the Satadhatu Sutta indicates what this cessation really means. And it really means that there's a cessation of perception and feeling. Now, if you're young, you don't fully understand what all these terms are. But it's okay, just take it in and you can just come to an understanding of it because it's something that when you practice the Buddha's teaching, this, is, this becomes available to you. When you practice the Four Noble Truths, including the Noble Eightfold Path, and Buddha teaches all these different meditations on the path, then the, this kind of deep meditation becomes available to you. And so... When you do this meditation, uh, when you do like what the Buddha is doing, in his case, he was doing the contemplation on the Paticca Samuppada, like how does this 
birth come to be and then the whole mass of suffering and how does it not come to be so he was doing it in the forward and reverse uh, uh, ways orders and so what the Chula Vedala Sutta says is when you actually come to this cessation this attainment of cessation so that ninth progressive meditative attainment then your mental uh, formation cease your verbal formation cease and your bodily formation cease but the order of it is according to the Chula Vedala Sutta is that the verbal formation so the Vajisankara ceases first then the bodily formation ceases, so the kaya sankharas, and then the mental formations, the manal sankharas cease. And what is interesting about this is that most of what happens really happens in the first four jhanas. So when you enter, there is a certain sequence that happens. And so when you think about verbal form formation ceasing, this is mainly the mental chatter that still exists that that ceases at the second jhana according to the buddha's instruction and then by the third jhana the body has already become quite tranquil and the mind is quite happy and so when you enter the fourth jhana that's where the body body seems to disappear that your perception of the body disappears and so that's what it means by verbal formation ceases first then bodily formation ceases then if you go directly uh, through the formless jhanas, by the eighth uh, jhana, which is the, so the fourth is, let me just go through, the, the fifth is the space is infinite, the sixth is consciousness is infinite, and then you have the base of nothingness is the seventh, and then by the eighth it's neither perception nor non-perception. And what they say is by the eighth, you're no longer having new mental formations. It's only the old formations, the old things that are in your mind, the old perceptions that may be flickering in your meditation. But there's nothing new that is forming. And so then when you enter from the eighth into the Niroda Samapati, this attainment of cessation, that's when the mental formations really, really cease as well. So that's what it really means. That's the sequence of what happens. So what I'll do now is explain why, why this is important, why this uh, explanation of Niroda Samapati is important. The reason why this explanation about these deep meditation states, particularly the attainment of cessation, this Niroda Samapati is important, is because one of the questions that is where this is really coming from is how did the Buddha survive without eating or drinking anything for 49 days given that his offering of his first meal was from Tapusa and Balika on the 50th day and what's interesting about this thing is that you would expect someone to either get very weak or to or to eventually pass away if you don't eat or drink for for such a long time and if you google it on the internet there are some places that say you could die within three to four days. Another uh, place that says you could die uh, within 21 days if you don't eat or drink. And some give you know more uh, longer periods of time, up to 60 days. But essentially, if we work on the basis that 21 to 22 days could be the upper limit, then you would expect that Buddha would have been in trouble. 
But that was not the case. He lasted 49 days. And he didn't just last. He was actually full of vitality and uh, with full cognition. All his faculties were, were there and, and he had no trouble. So the sutta that we refer to is one called the Mahavedala Sutta. And it's in Majjhima chapter 44. And here Venerable Sariputta was answering various questions from monks and nuns. And there was this question that was asked about what's the difference between a someone who is dead, so someone who's passed away, and someone who has attained this Nirodha Samapati, this attainment of cessation. And this cessation, as we know, is the cessation of perception and feeling. So the bodily formations have ceased, the verbal formations have ceased, and the mental formations have ceased. The answer that Venerable Sariputta gives is that yes, all those things have ceased, but the difference between someone who is in Nirodha Samapati, this deep meditation state, versus someone who is dead is that the one who is in Nirodha Samapati, which is what the Buddha was potentially in, is that vitality is not completely eliminated. So you still have life force, you still have vitality, you still have the life energy. And then warmth has not faded, so the body doesn't go grow cold like someone who has passed away. And then the faculties are very clear. So these are the, the normal faculties of hearing, uh, seeing, smelling. All those things are still there. They're all very, very clear. And of course, the spiritual faculties are very, very sharp. So that's the difference. So in that state, you're able to sustain yourself without food and water and you're still alive so this is you know one way of explaining how the buddha actually went through this period now it could have been that there were other knowledges or powers that could have been activated but we don't know that for sure there's no answer in the suttas about that but if we want an answer that comes from the suttas that help us to understand it then this is one of the the means of doing so in your question, you made reference to your grandmother and what she said about the Buddha's powers and physical attributes. So I just wanted to cover some of that as part of the answer as well. And she's correct that there are 73 what we know as jnanas, knowledges. And the Buddha had these 73 knowledges as part of uh, his understanding from his practice. And his full enlightenment. And so what the Padhisambhida Magga, so this is the path of discrimination, it lists out these 73, so it's difficult to put them all onto one slide, but you, you have them there. Uh, 67 of them are also available to students of the Buddha, that if you practice the Buddha's teaching, then you are able to attain 67 of these knowledges, four of which are the Four Noble Truths, another four are the realization of each of the noble or insight into each of the noble truths there's also the analytical insights which are in there but then there are six the last six which are only unique to the buddha so the students of the buddha disciples of the buddha won't be able to attain these knowledges and these are things like knowing another person's faculties and understanding the underlying tendencies, the anusayas of uh, different beings. So things like that. So there are these 73 special knowledges uh, that is spoken about.
When you read more widely through the Buddha's teachings, if you go to the longer discourses, there's one called the Samanyapala Sutta, and there are many different ones in the numerical discourses and middle-length discourses and also the connected discourses, and then also in the minor ones where you learn about the Buddha's powers and insight and knowledge. And so there's one instance in this Samanyapala Sutta in the second longer discourse that talks about eight kinds of knowledges that make the Buddha quite unique. And these are where some of the psychic abilities appear, such as the divine ear, the recollection of past lives, having the divine eye, and you know being able to know the minds of others, things like that, and then various other ones. But when you learn about them, it really helps you to develop more confidence in the Buddha that he was able to develop these jnanas. And another one, if you're interested, is called the Mahasiha Nada Sutta. And this is the one about the lion's roar in the middle-length discourses. And it talks about the powers of a Tathagata, the perfectly enlightened one. And, you know, here there's some overlap, you know, about knowing, you know, people's past lives and having the divine eye and being able to know how to uproot the taints, the things that bind us to samsara. But it's interesting because you see the Buddha had various ways of understanding things and various ways of understanding all the different things around how we come to be and our inclinations and our disposition. And so again, if you're interested, it's, it's good to find out and learn a little more about, about the Buddha. Finally, just to round off your question, there was reference to the physical characteristics of the Buddha, these 32 marks. So the reference in the suttas makes this known as the Mahapurusa Lakana, so the marks of a great man. And there are two possible situations that if one has parami and one is born as a lay person with these paramis, then you have no other destiny other than to become a king. And this is what we're known as a Sattvikti king, uh, someone who has certain qualities of a, of a good king. And then the second is if one is, uh, has these paramis and goes into homelessness, then you become the perfected, fully awakened Buddha. And so if we read the Lakana Sutta, which is in the Diganikaya chapter or discourse number 30, so the longer discourses, it gives an explanation of these 32 marks. But it goes on even more than that to explain what the Buddha did in previous lives to have actually uh, created the fertile ground for attaining these, these 32 different marks. And uh, if we read it, it says, There are 32 marks of a great man. A great man who possesses these has only two possible destinies, no other. If he stays at home, he becomes a king a wheel-turning monarch, a just and principled king. His dominion extends to all four sides. He achieves stability in the country, and he possesses the seven treasures. He has the following seven treasures, the wheel, the elephant, the horse, the jewel, the woman, the treasurer, and the counsellor as the seventh treasure. He has over a thousand sons who are valiant and heroic, crushing the armies of his enemies, after conquering this land, girt by sea, he reigns by principle without rod or sword. But if he goes forth from the lay life to homelessness, he becomes a perfected one, 
a fully awakened Buddha who draws back the veil from the world. <clears throat> so in both instances, they are very, very fortunate uh, rebirths. That if you have these parami, you've done certain things in previous lives. Clearly when you are born, you have the ability to have these marks. But you become very wise and very just and very uh, good to the world that you are born into. Such a king, for example, is someone that is beloved of the people and doesn't hurt anyone and lives by certain principles. And same with the fully awakened Buddha, that is someone who helps the world in a different way, one that helps to be free from samsara. So in both the Lakana Sutta and the Brahmayu Sutta, it gives you the list of the 32 marks. And so I won't go through all the different unique marks, but I will make reference to uh, what you said about the, the 40 teeth of the Buddha, the perfect teeth of the Buddha. And so it has reference in this way. It says he has 40 teeth, his teeth are even, his teeth have no gaps, and his teeth are perfectly white. And so those four distinct marks of the Buddha or a great man. And what I'll do is I'll just quickly explain how the Buddha came to have such perfect teeth. There's a passage in the uh, Lakana Sutta that talks about this. And what it says is, mendicants, in some past lives, the realized one was reborn as a human being. He refrained from divisive speech. So this is Pisunavacha. He didn't repeat it in one place, what he heard in another, so as to divide people against each other. Instead, he reconciled those who were divided, supporting unity, delighting in harmony, loving harmony, speaking words that promote harmony. Due to performing these deeds, he was reborn in a heavenly realm. When he came back to this state of existence, he obtained these two marks. He has 40 teeth and his teeth have no gaps. So that's how the Buddha came up and had these 40 gapless teeth. And it's really, so if, if anyone really wants to have teeth that are, are like this, then one needs to refrain from pisunavacha, this divisive speech or slander, and to really cultivate speech which is harmonious, reconciling people that are divided, you know, supporting unity and all, all these really uh, wonderful things. And one can expect a good destination if you have that kind of uh, inclination. And of course, there are other types of virtue that one keeps as well in accordance with, with this kind of speech. But this gives you the origin of why the Buddha ended up having such perfect teeth. So that's the answer to the question that's being asked by that young person and their grandmother. So let's share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you all well. Theruan Saranai.